Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy, so grateful you're with us today. Whether you showed up because you're in extreme grief, maybe you have some grief going on that seems to be lingering, or you're wondering, why isn't my life quite working? I'm feeling sad. I have a good life, but I have some happiness. But something, I don't know what, something's up. And maybe you have feel like you have a filter going on that maybe is contributing to maybe your life not working to your highest potential. I welcome you. If you are curious about grief, maybe for yourself or a friend, welcome. And we are here for you. You are not alone, especially in this time of COVID and so much destruction going on. Now we have Texas and other parts of the world that people are experiencing so much loss and unexpected changes. That's part of grief too. And so we just welcome you. And I know Dr. Katahakis welcomes you too. I always tell just a little story of what's going on, maybe some tips or what's going on in the world and my thoughts for today. And I have to tell you about experience I've had. I have an assistant who is a social media coordinator and we were talking one day and she's a young woman working at home and she was just telling me we had a social media meeting and she's just talking about how there was a sadness in her and just what's going on. She's over it. And so we just talked about her being alone and I can relate to it because I work from home now too. being alone, not having that, even the secondary relationships we have in offices, the water cooler stuff, meeting in the lunchroom, the people we meet to get coffee with, you know, the familiar things that we know, driving to work every day, listening to our favorite radio station or whatever you're listening to. There's a missing there. There's a sadness. And all I know for me, there is a type of loneliness that can come up and feelings of loss. And this free-floating anxiety that comes because we just don't know what's going on and there's not a recognition there. So I'm going to give you a tip, as I told her, and I'm using it myself. So I asked her, can you please write 10 losses you've experienced during COVID? Or if you're in Texas or any of the really hard-hit weather areas, just write down 10. You can write down 20, but this is just a little guideline of what, what loss you've experienced through all of this. And then... 10 things that you've gained through COVID, through the weather that's going on, even some of the movements that we've had, Black Lives Matter, LGBT, Me Too movement, 
you know, there's something percolating here and it's not for nothing, as they say in New York. And so let's take full advantage of it and explore deeper on ourselves. Remember, I always talk about this is not an intellectual exercise. Anything I ask you to do is not from the intellect. This is the language of the heart. So please consciously get into your heart space and let me know what happens. You know, connect with me through my face, Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. It's a private group on Facebook and would love to hear your comments or email me. It's all in the notes. So that's my tip for today. And now let's go to the portion that I'm really enthusiastic about that I think is such an important part in the grief space. And it's on sexuality. And I'm not an expert at this, but I'm sure happy I found one. And I could not have found anyone better. Her name is Dr. Alexandra Katahakis. She's a PhD, MFT, CSATS, CSTS, is a marriage family therapist, certified sex addiction therapist, supervisor, and certified sex therapist, supervisor, and clinical director of Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles. Dr. Katahakis has extensive experience in working with a full spectrum of sexuality, from sexual addiction to sex therapy, as well as and problems of sexual desire and sexual dysfunction for individuals and couples. She has successfully facilitated the recovery of many sexually addicted individuals and assisted couples in revitalizing their sex lives. She earned her PhD from the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Alexandra has been a guest on several national radio, podcast, news media, and publications. Too many to mention. She is the author of Sexual Reflections, a workbook for designing and celebrating your sexual health plan, Sex Addiction as Effect Dysregulation, a Neurobiologically Informed Holistic Treatment, Erotic Intelligence, Igniting Hot Healthy Sex After Recovery from Sex Addiction, co-author of Mirror of Intimacy, Daily Reflections on Emotional and Erotic Intelligence, and a contributing author to Making Advances, a comprehensive guide for treating female sex and love addicts. All of this is available on Amazon. So help me welcome Dr. Alex Katahakis. Welcome. Thank you, Charlene. So happy you're here today. And how we start is we just find out what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And you being a professional, not a lot of times I'll have the individual come on with their personal experiences. And for the professional people I have on, I just want to learn when I said what it was like. How did you get into this particular area professionally? And, you know, what happened? How did it all come about? And what's going on today? Well, I mean, I guess apropos of grief, I had been in a about a 10-year relationship that ended. I was in my 20s. And that relationship was fraught with sexual issues and problems and experimentation. And I moved to LA and I met someone. And really, within a month of meeting him, we were in a terrible car accident and he was killed. And I write about this in my book. Uh, it's in the introduction of my book, Sex Addiction as Affect Dysregulation. And it was that experience that catapulted me into therapy. I'd never been in therapy before. I hadn't dealt with the issues of the previous relationship, but I was really decked by that death. It was a brutal death. His death was brutal. I was not hurt at all physically. And so that turned my world upside down. 
And I became very intimately involved and acquainted with grief for about three years. I would say it took me about three years to process through that experience because it was violent, it was traumatizing, etc. And it was through my experience in therapy that my life started to change. And it wasn't just my life, it was a physical sense. I felt more integrated, more vital, like more vitality states in my body, more alive. And I was lucky that I ended up in the hands of a very skilled therapist. And so that really caught my interest. I thought, wow, if you can make a living helping people sort of restore their sanity, restore their sense of self, then what a great way to, you know, to have a career and have a life. So that had me enrolling in graduate school. And it was in my studies in graduate school, I took one class on uh, sexual health or sexuality. And I was really hooked at that point with the question of what is it that allows for or creates an erotic sexual life over time. Because I hadn't seen that in my own family growing up. My parents divorced when I was 27 after about 30 years of marriage. And it was really, that was also a point of grief and loss for me. My own 10-year relationship was ending at that time. And so losing my family of origin was a big, big loss And it took a long time to recover from that. I'm not sure I've ever recovered from it, honestly. Both of my parents have since passed away because they were elderly when they died. And there was just really a fragmenting of my family that created grief and loss also. So, but it was my interest in human sexuality that propelled me into the field of sex and sexuality. I, first of all, thank you for sharing that personal part of your life. Mm -hmm. It's so appreciated. And What there's a saying is called discovery is not recovery. It's like we can discover all kinds of things about ourselves, all kinds of information. Right. But is that recovery, you know, self-knowledge? No. Because we get that psychic change through recovery is some work involved. And I see your workbooks and your classes. I'm just like, I was so happy to hear about this because I'm sending people your way. Well, I think, you know, a great iconic example is Woody Allen, who, you know, someone who purports to have been in psychoanalysis for like 20 years. And he understood why he was so neurotic, but he remained neurotic. Um, So understanding does not change these deficits and the difference is that that's a left brain cognitive process, but it is not a right brain bodily based experience. And when people are in recovery, when they're really working the steps, they're bumping up against their shame, their trauma, they're feeling feelings they've never felt before because they were using um, a substance or a behavior to not feel those feelings. And they were very defended you know, on the left, as we say, by way of rationalizing, justifying, minimizing, denying. And when those are deconstructed, and the person's really only left with their emptiness, their sadness, their abject pain, and those feelings of being damaged and loss, that is a good sign. That's really ground zero. And I think the steps really help people start to excavate their pain. 
as does, you know, psychotherapy is an adjunct to program, but it's an enormous amount of work. I, I tell people that early sobriety is like having a part-time job. Like imagine you have your career and then you've got a 20 hour a week job at Starbucks. Only your 20 hour a week is, you know, going to 90 meetings in 90 days, making program calls, reading program literature, doing the writing. It's not some, you know, bliss trip. It's really the proverbial dark night of the soul. Yes. It's like heart surgery. Yeah. Because the only way through out of it is through the belly of the beast. Right. And what's interesting though, when you're newly in recovery, and I think I've mentioned it to you, I 33 years in recovery and the work you need to do and the discovery and the writing and the rigorous honesty Mm. and taking responsibility. Are there things that happen to people that, oh my God, it's horrific that people may have perpetrated on others or whatever in the trauma or things we put on ourselves or the, the obsessive compulsiveness of addiction. It's like, okay, that's the fact. Like, in right. the steps, you know, I am alcoholic addict, sex addict, or whatever you call it. And you've got to see the facts have to, you have to walk in humility through that. And mm-hmm. being humble means looking at the facts, right? Looking at the straight, hardcore facts, the good, the bad, the ugly. Right. And that's the only way you can move forward. And so it's deep, but it doesn't take as long as people think it will. No, I know. I always tell people, you know, if you're 40 years old, it's not going to take you 40 years to get through this. You know, I think really to me, three to five years is the sweet spot for people. Um, The first year is a slog and it's hard, but it gets easier exponentially over time. People change their lives profoundly, I think, if they stay the course. Yes. And I always thought the first year is physical. Your body is recalibrating, whether it's yeah. sex drugs or whatever, you know, the abstinence and the, you know, at first you're white knuckling it. Hopefully you get some kind of psychic change through your work. And that's forever change. It's like, right. I always give you the example. When I was a kid, I used to bite my nails. And then one day I had to consciously try to learn not to do it. And all of a sudden, after I stopped biting my nails, I'm like, why did I ever bite my nails? Exactly. Yeah. Well, these are adaptive strategies and habits that are very difficult to change and stop. But we're nothing but a series of habits anyway. Our brains are super automatic. And when we're running these old patterns, they're embedded in our autonomic nervous system. So we really, it's like if you were pigeon-toed and you were constantly having to remind yourself to straighten out your feet, straighten out your feet, straighten out your feet, eventually your feet and your hips would recalibrate and you would be walking straight more often than not. Right, right. That physical memory. Now, can you talk, I was thinking about you and people who have gone through trauma and the addiction. Where does the grief fit in? I know some people lose their childhood essence. They they lose in childhood, even in a horrible relationship in adulthood. You know, the codependent part. I had a friend who committed suicide from yeah. extreme codependency. That's right. Yeah. Pia Melody says codependency kills people. Oh, yeah. And I think alcoholism is a cakewalk compared to codependency. I used to have right. a friend who committed suicide. She'd be in my house in a fetal position crying mm. so hard. Wow. Yeah. The other thing that Pia says is that codependency underlies all addictions, that you have to heal your codependency before you can heal your love addiction, sex addiction, alcoholism, you name it. That's the mechanism which drives the whole thing. And that's a trauma reaction. 
Um, it's not just some, you know, bad personality trait. If a child is in a dangerous household and they learn that they have to track and caretake to the adults around them in order to feel safe or to be safe, then that's an adaptive strategy for survival. Um, and then we carry it into adulthood and it becomes problematic. So yes, focusing on that is key. But I think where people's grief and loss really hits is probably after they've done their first step and they realize all the destruction they've wrought and also the amount of time they've lost, you know, that they've squandered their lives. I mean, that's a very painful realization. And I think the older people are when they get into recovery, the harder it is. Because if you're 30 and you're getting sober, you can look back and you're going to have grief and loss for sure. But imagine if you're 60 and you're grieving years of destruction and people you've hurt, but you're also facing your mortality. Yes, right? That's really quite a bind for a lot of people. So I think it comes at different time for different people, depending their age and depending on how notorious they were in their addiction. And I think that's why certainly the first step and also, you know, doing a timeline history of their behaviors, whether it's their drunkalog or, you know, their sexual timeline history. That's when people see the facts, as you say, this is my addiction in living color. This is what I did. Yes. It's like an awakening. It is. And yeah. you can go forward. You've got great material right. to work on. And I always say it's like this adventure, this inner adventure. It's all how you go into it. And, sure. and I believe in the peer-to-peer model that mm-hmm. people learn from each other. Oh, you got through that horrific. Oh, mine wasn't so bad. Maybe I give some hope there. You're right. That change a paradigm in their brain. And this work today, when you first started in this work, Where do you see the difference now? Because you're very progressive in your work. I can just see that when you started on sexual health, where is it? Where where was it when you started? Well, are you talking about with sex addiction or addiction or anyone with a grief? Not even addiction, but they don't have a like I, for example, I grew up with a mother who was, you know, she was the type of person who talked dirty, told dirty jokes, but there was a sexual thing about her that there was shame mm-hmm. about it. And I got instilled in that. Where sure. I have a sexual, like even talking about my period, my older sister told me about it. Right. Yeah. And so there was something that I was never taught about that full sexual. Like now, thank God I, you know, done my work on it and all that kind of stuff. But even someone who's like you talk about couples, you know, sexual communication, one has they they walk around with filters. So yeah, I mean, dream and the more just sort of things that you could tweak a little bit. Well, I think we're woefully misinformed about sex and sexuality, and even sex therapists' focus is on issues of dysfunction and you know sexual problems and how do we fix problems. But nobody really talks about sexual potential and what makes what really makes for great sex there's always a new tip or technique in cosmopolitan magazine or men's sexual health it's all about you know sex toys and lingerie and how you turn your partner on but what's really profoundly missing is you know the the connection between two people and while i'm not some moralist that says 
oh, you have to be in a committed relationship to have great sex. I don't think that's true. But I do know that you have to have a connection with someone where you trust them deeply. Um, and there are studies now, specifically a Canadian study that shows that, you know, when people are interviewed, what they, you know, what they state is that the number one component for great sex is trust and mutual respect. Um, and I, so I believe that that connection is the portal into the erotic, which is very different than that which is pornographic. Uh, because pornography is about getting off. It's this sort of super normal stimulus. It's Hollywood. It, it's make-believe sex. I mean, even the adult actors say that, you know, porn sex is not like at-home sex for them. It's just not how it works for most people. And so... I would really want to encourage people to get very interested in their own bodies, in their own sexual arousal cycle, what's interesting to them, what turns them on, and how do they and how do all of us talk to our partners about this without shame, without humiliation. You know, we still talk about what's going on down there. And most people don't even have their own sexual pleasure practice. Um, they might look at porn and masturbate, but it's not about how do I create capacity for pleasure in my own body? What brings me pleasure? It, it's more about, you know, again, getting off. And these are very subtle but different orientations to sex and sexuality. Do you think if people go into it as a self-loving act, especially when they do it individualized, and then if they have a higher purpose for sexuality, even if you're, you know, you have some grief issues, how is there, what do you think will help someone? Like, I know myself, we all have our love language, right? Mm -hmm. Like to me, foreplay, sometimes even not the physical part of foreplay, but someone, my love language is affirming, you know, Words. someone yeah. talking, loving to me and uh -huh. telling me, of course, how great I am or something. And yeah, I'm a but... favorite or whatever. Yes. You know, yeah. Beautiful woman, you know, something fully. And then the, all the planets are aligned with me and I'm right. Ready. Yeah, exactly. I feel safe and right. seen. And seen. And that's the mutual respect piece. And I think that's really important for, um, I mean, we're talking in some ways in a heteronormative way, but for heterosexual women, that level of respect and being cared for is crucial to arousal. Whereas heterosexual males in general, and these are broad strokes, um, are more aroused by what they see. Yes. They're more visual in that way. And females are more auditory in some way. You know, what we hear and also the actions, you know, what we're shown is what's more meaningful to us. It's why Chippendale's is kind of like a novelty item, whereas there are a million strip clubs all over town, all over the world for men to go watch strippers. But women don't go watch strippers. We don't care. Yes. It's sort of novelty and it's fun, but that's ultimately what's not arousing. I agree totally. And being a woman, having to respect that that's the men see. Of course. Yeah. Because some people get offended. Women want them to be a girl. And yeah. It, it, they're just not that way and to accept them as they are. And that's their probably long love language. Now, what is something maybe you've seen something that's going on now during COVID with people at home with their partner of 30 years or 10 years or new relationships or, and I know I'm putting a broad brush yeah. on this, 
What is there anything you'd like to share with us? Do you think that's very important? That will well, help? I, I think what we're seeing is that people are either getting closer or they're separating. You know, if they were in bad relationships to begin with, this was sort of the tipping point for them. Um, because, you know, you're like at home, you're housebound with the same person and that can be really yummy and delicious or it can be a nightmare depending on the relationship. So people have gone one of two ways with that. We know that pornography use has increased, you know, tremendously during this time, which is, you know, hard to say whether that's good, bad, or otherwise. I think for some people, it's incredibly isolating and not so good. Uh, Maybe other people are using it to, you know, spice up their sex life. I don't know. So these are some of the things that we've been seeing at Center for Healthy Sex, but it really is different. It's kind of a case-by-case basis. Right. And in the grief space, and if you were, if someone's having a very difficult time as an individual, even, and they're alone or they have a partner and something's coming up in the grief space, some sadness, because the feelings come up, there's no short-term energy relievers around. You can only do so much. Do you have any suggestions? I know you do the workshops and you can't divulge what every step of the workshop, but do you have any tips for our listeners Yes, I think whenever you're feeling any feeling, the best thing you can do to honor the feeling in yourself is to just let it come. You know, we spend so much energy shutting down our feelings, and that creates a load on the immune system. It's exhausting. People find themselves depressed or angry um, or have chronic headaches or who knows what. But to notice, wow, I'm really feeling sad right now. So I'm just going to let myself be sad and see where that takes me. You know, I know for myself, after around Thanksgiving, Through the middle of December, I noticed I was just feeling listless. Like I didn't want to put up a Christmas tree. It just felt like too much work. Like everything was like, was just too much work. And I thought, what's wrong with me? And I didn't feel depressed. It wasn't that. It was just this feeling of like, oh, I've got to lug my body around. And it's all just so exhausting. (laughs) And I think I also felt like it was just not worth it because nobody was going to see it but me. You know, normally the holidays are really fun and exciting and putting up a tree and getting out my ornaments and having people over. It's a social time. And that missing piece just had me feeling blah about everything. And so I just let myself be a blob for about four weeks. And I trusted that, look, I'm either going to come out of this or I won't. And I did. And I'm, I'm feeling much more vital and excited right now, maybe because the weather's changing and we have the vaccine and there's some hope on the horizon. So that has shifted. But when we dive deeply into the feeling we're feeling, that is the paradox of what shifts it. And avoiding it is what keeps it around longer. Yes. And I know you're married. How was it when you were going through that listlessness and all that? How was it communicating? Some people get they're very uncomfortable sometimes to talk about these things in a relationship, especially when you're together a lot. Yeah. And that's when you're true, you know, the vulnerability, that big V and how, how was it? How did, how were you able to communicate that? And I know you've been married for a while, but yeah, I mean, I, the tools you may use during, yeah, I, I guess my husband and I talk a lot about what's going on with us. So it's not unusual at all for me to express that. And I think also 
the act of expressing to our partners where we're at allows them to give us space to just be where we're at and not take it personally. So for example, if somebody's had a really bad day at the office and they come home and they're grouchy and they're not interested in connecting, if they don't say, look, I just want to warn you, I had a really bad day today. I'm super stressed out. This is not about you. I need my space tonight to work out or listen to loud music or stand on my head or whatever, then, you know, as a partner, we have the option of saying, oh, good to know. I'm going to read a book tonight or watch a movie and I'm not going to bug you so that you can deal with whatever is going on with you and not take it personally. And that's about giving each other space for our humanity and not expecting we're always going to be exactly at the same place at the same time. I mean, it's actually more unusual that we are. And that is really, there was a study years ago that showed that families had their biggest fights when um, everybody came home at the end of the day. You've got two people coming home from work and two kids coming home from school, and they're all coming in with four different experiences of the day. And that's when the clashes would happen because they're all taking it out on each other instead of talking about what happened today. So we can really listen to understand the other and, you know, speak to be heard. Right. You hurt the ones you love, even through that. Kind yeah, of- unless we have, we're intentional and we're conscious about what's going on with us. And it's simple. I had a company for 26 years that I mm-hmm. sold. And I remember we'd have conversations because when you're working with people for years and decades, we used to say when we had an issue, just go, you know, I love you. Right. Mm. I just have to communicate something to you. So this right. way you're in this space of, you know, just a reminder. Not personal, yeah. right? But that order didn't get through. So let's look at what happened. Yes. Right? And, and like I said earlier, when you're in recovery, whether it be grief recovery, sexual recovery, or whatever it is, these practices can change everything. Yeah, right. And as long as we learn to practice, it's not that hard. It's just that muscle memory and just... Just practice it because it's uncomfortable for you. But after a while, you're not going to be uncomfortable with it. It's going to be a natural way of being and you'll see the benefits, which is great. I have one more question to ask. Sure. And it's not a personal nature. Your your love that died in the car accident. Uh Uh-huh. How in that grief, how did you navigate or not? I want to say navigate. That's not the right word. How was it when you did get married, this marriage? Mm -hmm. How did you navigate through that? And how did your own husband navigate through knowing that... Well, I married about 10 years after that happened. So it would have been a long time. Um, It wasn't really, um, it was in my rearview mirror. And I'd done a lot of therapy. I mean, a lot, like five years, twice a week. I was in group therapy. So I was really working on myself during that time. So by the time I was really ready to date and find a partner, I felt pretty unencumbered from that experience. I mean, at that point, he really was you know, a ghost, so to speak, and an integral part of who I am. That experience is a part of who I am, but I don't deny it. And I also don't dwell on it. And he'd only been my boyfriend for a short period of time too. I mean, we'd known each other just a month, Oh, you know, and so it was a new love. I was crazy about him. We were having a lot of sex. It was like fun, super fun which made it super painful also because I really liked him and I was having fun with him. But it wasn't like, you know, someone I'd been with for five years or even one or two years would have been more painful. It was just a tragedy all the way around. And clearly 
that was his journey and it was my path to be on that journey with him, that I was somewhat of a midwife for him into his next life or into death, as it were. And he left me with an enormous gift because it forced me to look at myself in ways that I don't think would have been open to me. I mean, it was a portal into a deep exploration because it was so painful. What a beautiful, like your insight on the experience Mm. and how you embody it and walk forward in life. That's very powerful. So I hope anyone who's listening to this, this is recovery talking right now. So it's so beautiful to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Now we're getting to the end of our podcast and I would like to hear some of your workshops. I mean, I looked at them, they're very exciting and they're coming up in February. Yeah, well, right now um, I have a day-long workshop next Saturday, February 27th. It's from 7.30 till four Pacific time. And that's for females who identify as love addicts. So the whole topic is on love addiction, what it is, what we can do about it, how it comes about. We deconstruct a lot of it and people leave with some sort of emotional sobriety plan, you know, and a sense of what they have to do. The workshop is just sort of a window into the problem. It is not the fix for the problem by any means. (laughs) Yeah, we give you lots of books and resources and things of that nature. And it's really terrific. I've been doing it now for a year and we get women from all over the world that are really just fantastic women that open their hearts and share. So that's then. And then in April, I'm doing the same workshop and I do it for men. So similar but different content, really looking more at masculinity and how we define that today, but looking at the love addiction and where it comes from and the impact it has on men and how it keeps them from getting into healthy relationships. So those are the two workshops coming up. For professionals, I'm also doing a two-day sex addiction treatment workshop, and that's on a Saturday and a Sunday coming up in March. Um, So people would have to check our website, centerforhealthysex.com, for the exact dates and how to register for these workshops. Awesome. And everything will be in the notes on the podcast. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Charlotte. Oh, you're welcome. Any last tips or anything, or do you feel complete? Yeah, I think that's probably it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again. I'm so happy to get to know you and other people got to know you. And please, if you need any kind of sexual help, addiction, just want to have a better sex life, whatever it is, please contact her and you'll have everything you need on the podcast notes again. And everyone, thank you for showing up for us today and for you. And we are on all the podcast platforms. Please share. And because she probably won't come on, I just realized until the podcast won't be shown until March. I'm sure there's other workshops coming up too. Yes. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Make it a great day and we'll see you soon. Thanks again, Dr. Alex. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we will keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, Please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash 
Charlene Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you. <laughs>